Commutify presents Between the Lines with Andy Keaton. Each week, we explore the challenging issues transportation demand management professionals face on their journey to transition commuters from driving alone to more sustainable, shared and active commuting habits. Be sure to subscribe to hear next week's episode and check out our exclusive commuter playlists on Spotify. This is Between the Lines with Andy Keaton. Today, we are joined by Joey Sherlock. Joey is an applied behavioral researcher at the Center for Advanced Hindsight. He's currently on an extended sabbatical from central government in the UK, where he is a principal behavioral scientist with HM Revenue and Customs. At the center, he leads the government team, which focuses on using behavioral science to bring innovation into civic society and has programs with funds totaling over $2 million. Joey has run more than 50 randomized controlled trials with governments across the world and has a wealth of experience applying behavioral science and human-centered design to difficult behavioral challenges in a wide range of fields, including sustainability and transportation. And today, Joey's going to be talking to us about why behavioral TDM is going to save the planet. Joey, glad to have you on. How are you doing today? Thank you. It's really, really great to be here. I don't think a lot of our listeners probably even know the term behavioral TDM. They might have an idea um, what it might mean, but if you could just give us, you know, your own definition, what is behavioral TDM? What, is, what does that mean? Yeah, so, so I guess behavioral TDM doesn't really exist. Um, it's, <laughs> it's something that we are in many ways trying to start. Um, so I guess the idea really sort of took hold with us um, probably uh, about a year or two ago. So we've been working for a little while now, um, in particular with, with Jessica Roberts out of Alta Planning um, and with Professor Ashley Willens over at, uh, at HBS uh, and as a range of other, other collaborators and stakeholders as well, working on, on, on a few different projects that have been trying to use behavioral economics, behavioral science, human-centered design, you know, all of these things we'll talk about shortly and apply them to the TDM context to try and basically develop cool ways innovative ways to get people to not drive um, and of course to test those using RCTs um, and so that like therein is what I think behavioral TDM is um, you know the application of behavioral science human-centered design and rigorous evaluation to TDM um, and, I, and I really I think it's a new idea and you I mean maybe you could go as we could be as bold as to say it's a subfield within TDM or at least an approach within TDM. Um, whatever it is, however it will sort of play out in the coming years, you know, is to, is to be defined, but it's, it's cool and it's a lot of fun. The, the main thing that is really intriguing to me about behavioral TDM is this idea of bringing in behavioral science, bringing in behavioral economics and human-centered design, um, and then really actually building these programs to get people out of their cars. And it just, it starts there. So can you just tell me a bit more, um, let's just kind of dive into each of those kind of subfields within the subfield, behavioral economics and, and human-centered design. Let's start with behavioral economics and behavioral science. How does this kind of concept, um, you know, work in behavioral TDM? How does it get us to get people out of, out of vehicles, what we're talking about? Yeah, so, so um, I guess it's to start with, with a, an understanding or a, de or a definition of behavioral science, behavioral economics. So, so what we're trying to do here is, is understand um, how humans think. And, and in particular, we're sort of making uh, this important distinctions between uh, 
deliberative, rational, cognitive thought uh, as, as a, uh, a very strong facet of our decision making, but something that, that is also very much flawed. Um, and so make a distinction between what is cognitive and deliberative and rational and what is unconscious. Um, and, and really behavioral economics helps us understand these two sort of separate ways of thinking, this dual system process. Um, and, and importantly, understand where we are relying on unconscious processes or um, you know, processes that aren't necessarily uh, front of mind or front or aren't things that we're, that we're fully aware of and understand where those processes might lead us astray. So where we might be influenced by unconscious drivers or where um, uh, the environment might be designed in such a way that it, it, it pushes us in a direction that is sort of less than, less than ideal. So behavioral economics, behavioral science, in short, it gives us a stronger understanding of how humans actually think and helps us design environments to account for these unconscious uh, processes. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, this is really interesting. So we're talking about, you know, kind of the idea of, you know, nudges and, and getting people to maybe uh, not, you know, to, to unconsciously think about things that they maybe weren't going to choose, you know, with a kind of a rational economic choice. Um, one of those, I, I, I mean, I have to take a step back and comment on your sweater. I mean, this is amazing. So you've got a train here, you got a bus. Now, are you trying to nudge me into thinking something here with your with your sweater? Is that is this an example of behavioral economics you're using right now on me? <laughs> so it could be. This could be an, this could be an example of priming where I'm looking to unconsciously prime you into a, into a particular way of thinking. There's lots of examples of studies like this. Some of them are, have been sort of critiqued in the field, but you know, one classic example is um, uh, if we if we prime people with images of money, they are sometimes um, more selfish in subsequent tasks. So what I you know hypothetically might be trying to do here is prime you with images of a train to to make you more inclined to get the train. Now in reality, what I'm actually doing is we have a really strong um, collaboration and partnership with the, the Office of Extraordinary Innovation in LA, which I think, by the way, is the most LA name you've ever come across. <laughs> oh, absolutely, um, yeah. <laughs> and they they have these sweaters, and I thought, well, I'll give them some, give them a bit of a shout out and wear the, wear the, the OEI sweater. So, yeah, um, really, it's nothing to do with that, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like it, I like it. Okay. Um, yeah, so this is, this is really interesting. Okay, so we've talked, we've kind of touched on the idea here of behavioral economics. Um, I want to learn a bit more about human-centered design, um, just a bit. So what can you define, again, what is human-centered design? And then how can it be used in TDM? Yeah, so um, what, what we at least mean by this is we're looking to try and um, develop solutions and, and understand problems uh, through the eyes of the user, through the eyes of the citizen or the, the commuter. Um, and so what we're trying to do when we apply humans in a design is, is take that user focused lens and use it as a, and, you, and all the, the tools that come along, along with it as a means of helping us take something from just an idea phase or, or just a problem statement all the way through the process of defining it, developing the idea, prototyping and iterating over time to get to a point where we have something that seems to work um, in, in you know, the, the environment that we're to change the behavior we're looking to try and change. Um, so I guess, I guess in short, the, the way we apply um, human-centered design is, is really uh, an approach or a mindset, taking that user focus, but also then a collection of tools, a collection of methodologies that help us um, iterate and test and develop 
ideas and, and, and get all the way through to something that works. Interesting. Yeah. That, so, you know, I've definitely heard of, you know, the idea of human-centered design. I think this like is, is big in the, the tech world where, you know, I'm going to design a, uh, a phone or something. I think Apple uses a lot of human-centered design in their, in their work. This is a little different because, I mean, you might be, maybe you're talking about how to design a, I don't know, a, a rideshare system or something, but I think maybe this is, this is more broad. It sounds like it's kind of a, a concept for a program. So it's a little bit uh, different kind of in my mind. I'd like to kind of talk through here. How does this concept, human centered design, and going back to behavioral economics, behavioral science, how does this actually work in, in the real world? Do you have an example of, of a project you've worked on that you kind of walk us through um, so I can actually understand, I can put this in my mind and think about this for my programs coming up as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, so really think about this as an approach to innovation. You know, let's say that we are uh, trying to innovate. We're trying to, to change the world. You know, we're trying to um, save the planet and we need to develop cool ways to do that. So in this context, we're trying to develop cool ways to get people out of their cars, to get people to, to not drive. And so we're innovators. Um, so we're using the, sort of the behavioral science, the behavioral economics piece of this is we're looking to, like we said, understand um, uh, unconscious drivers and develop and uh, leverage the, the literature, the academic literature that exists and develop tools and processes or come up with ideas at least um, that, that sort of account for these unconscious processes. So once we have those ideas, we're then using human-centered design in this iterative way to help us understand the context, develop the idea, iterate, test, and get to the point where we have a solution that is working in, in field. And so a nice example of this that we've been playing with, um, and one of, the, one of the first things we did in, in the you know, behavioral TDM space was to, to work on personalized routes. And so in this scenario, what we're, what we're doing is we're, we're taking some, some basic, um, basic assumptions or understanding about human behavior in this in this case commuting and we're saying that lots of people probably intend um to to drive less you know it's most people would agree with the idea that cycling is going to make you more healthy that um catching the bus is going to save you money or give you more productive time that carpooling will give you more social time so we, we sort of agree with this but it's difficult for us to follow through one of the reasons it's difficult for us is this intention behavior gap so we intend to do lots of things and we struggle to follow through on our, on our behavior. This is something that's well um, documented in the behavioral science literature. So we took that and we came up with an idea where we wanted to, to create personalized routes where we, we would help people follow through on their, their given intentions by laying out, here's the way you can get to work, providing it in a timely way to help them commute by not driving. We then used a series of iterative methods to take that from literally us drawing things out on a piece of paper, bare bones prototype one, all the way through an iterative approach where we you know, created versions that with increasing sophistication, got user feedback, ran small quick pilots, got feedback from, from the mayor and high level stakeholders, iterated, tested, improved, iterated, tested, and we've got to the point where we had something that we thought was working. And then we, and we haven't talked much about this yet, but then we launched a randomized control trial, which is where we're trying to wrap rigorous evaluation around an idea to see whether or not it works. Interesting. Okay, I like that. I really like this idea. My head's like, you know, spinning here. I've got so many ideas going through my head because this really applies to so many different uh, programs and projects. Um, this is why I really think, you know, and why we have you on for one of our first episodes here. 
behavioral TDM has such a broad uh, kind of, uh, of applicability here that I think anyone listening can think of a project they're working on where this applies. Now, certainly, if you're working on something, uh, you know, if we're talking about something like like carpooling, carpooling often is a great solution, but it's not always a great solution. Behavioral TDM, though, seems to be a great solution as a, you know, overarching solution to all of these different things. I really think that's interesting. Um, but let's take a step back here and let's talk about what you were just kind of getting to at the end of what you were what you were saying uh, about these randomized control trials and, and testing ideas and finding the nudges that work, finding figuring out kind of what is um, you know what is the best strategy moving forward. So first, I want to just ask you why is this important? Why is this rigorous testing important? And then what can we actually learn from trials? And, and you know why are we doing this? What are we trying to get to? Yeah, so look, if you have um, one thing that is, you know, going to change the world that is going to save the planet, I think it is, it is this rigorous evaluation piece. I think the, the ideas that, that we can bring in through behavioral, from a behavioral lens and human-centered design and that process of innovation is really, really important, but it's nothing unless we can show whether or not the, these ideas work, um, how much they work, and then, and then take them to different contexts and test them again. So what we're trying to do with the, with the rigorous evaluation piece is, is really come from you know, the starting place of, we don't know. You know, we, we've developed something cool or we think it's cool. Some people have told us it's cool. Maybe we've run a small pilot and it seems to have worked, but we don't know whether, whether it works. We don't know if it does work, how long it works for, who it works for, if there are subpopulation impacts, um, whether it has potential negative spillover effects in other directions. And so this, this idea of designing strong evaluation contexts, which are not always, but are often randomized control trials and getting as close to, to behavioral measurement as we can, um, you know, this is this is really, really, really important. And really, what it is is it's just bringing some some strong analytical, methodological, scientific thinking, and and using it to to bolster uh, some of the you know the existing work that's being that's being done. Um, for us, this this piece is is often the the hardest. Um, you know, it's 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 reasonable to come up with lots of ideas. You know, we can brainstorm, we could spend an afternoon and we'd, we'd have half a dozen here, you know, strong ways we think we could get people not to drive. It's much, much harder to implement them and to test them rigorously uh, in an environment. But I think it's tremendously important. That's interesting. Um, so, I, you know, I'm uh, taking off of, off of mobility for a second. I'm looking at these curtains behind you. I'm wondering what stage in the uh, rigorous testing you are um, in deciding the curtains on, on your windows here. So, so I should say that um, I've literally just uh, moved house. Um, Congrats. So this is, this is uh, actually bought, bought a house. Um, I'm you know, one of those millennials that was forced to save during the pandemic and <laughs> gave up chai lattes and, and spiked kombucha. So now I'm able to, to buy a house. Great. Um, you're very much seeing the before picture, <laughs> in the, what will be the before, during and after series. So um, this is baseline data. So we're collecting baseline data. We'll be uh, prototyping interventions starting this weekend. Um, I we'll be, we'll be we'll be, I'll be user testing those on my girlfriend, and then uh, I'll call you back in when we have the finished results, and you can you can test yourself. Oh, that's great! So this is your this this is your driving to work alone, forty five minutes each way. Now we have to figure out okay, how do we get you out? Of, how do we get you out of the car? Get you out of this these uh, this old style curtains here. I bet there's <laughs> there's a better solution. I think you're there. Uh, okay, back to mobility. Back to mobility. Um, 
can you just uh, tell me a little bit more about what has worked, what hasn't worked? It's, I mean, obviously when you're doing testing, um, certainly you're coming across things that you thought were going to work and then didn't. Um, can you just tell me, and you know, a concrete example here, what is an example of something that, you know, didn't work as well as you might've expected and you had to change things? What's an example of something that worked really well and then you, you know, uh, amplified it? Uh, just kind of, once again, getting these, these concrete ideas in, in my head. Yeah, so I think let's, let's start and say, look, lots of things don't work. Um, uh, and so, and that's part of, part of this is, you know, we're testing to try and rule things out as much as rule things in. Um, one paper I'll cite, it's not actually one I was involved in, but um, Professor Ashley Willens led a paper um, that was published, uh, 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 that showed a series of studies with a large university, sorry, a large uh, airport in London um, that tested lots of different sort of TDM style nudges. Um, and I think it showed more or less flat lines across the piece, not a whole lot of impact um, on any of them. And so the conclusion was this was, we, you know, we can run really strong evaluations and, and often they don't necessarily change behavior. It's really, really hard to change, change behavior. So I'd encourage anyone to, to go and look up that study and, and read it. I think it was a 2019, 2020 publication. Um, then some of the things that, that, that do work, um, uh, so the, the personalized roots study that I was, or a series of studies, um, we, we've talked more about those in other contexts. We, we think that that's working. Um, big caveat is, is we're relying on self-report data in those studies. So, you know, that's take that with a pinch of salt. I'm not convinced by it myself. Um, we have a, we have a few other things that seem to be going reasonably well. We've been playing uh, a lot with, with parking pricing. Um, and, and interventions around parking studies. We've been working uh, as part of our Bloomberg Mayor's Challenge with the city of Durham and Vanderbilt University to run these studies. And, and we, you know, we've got some, some interesting things there. One thing I'll throw out, which is, is a quite a, a nudge style intervention, is we've been playing with um, uh, different frames. Uh, so so you know, take, that, take a step back to that personalized route example. There are lots of reasons why someone might be motivated to not drive. So we have, uh, you know, you, you could be trying to get more exercise, you could be trying to save money, you could be trying to save time, you could be trying to reduce your, your uh, CO2 emissions, you know, your, your input. Um, and we're not really sure, particularly from those personalized route studies, which one of these is the most effective driver. You know, we threw all of these into our intervention um, and just tested all of them in one go. We, we weren't able to isolate very well. Um, so what we did over the summer is we ran a lab study where we um, worked with a, a really great master's student named Owen Powell at the London School of Economics, collaborated on this lab study where we isolated these different frames, ran a hypothetical experiment, um, and it turns out that people tell you in an online environment that money and uh, the environment are the biggest drivers when we, when we you know, set up this, this online lab study to isolate those. We then took that into a field study with Vanderbilt University, we, and we ran um, uh, money and environment against each other. Um, oh, I should, should also say that the other thing that came out of that lab study was, if, if you really want to change behavior, also just put the thing you want people to do first. If you put <laughs> driving as the first option, people are more likely to tell you they'll drive. If you put walking as the first option, people are more likely to tell you they'll walk. So <laughs> we, we ran this, uh, this, this field study. We took the results from the lab, brought, took them into the field, and so we tested control, then we tested just changing the order. You know, what happens if we, if we put the thing we want people to do top rather than second? Uh, and then we had a money frame and an environmental frame. And in this field study, which was trying to get people to, to sign up to a daily parking program with Vanderbilt University, we found that the, the ordering carries through 
if you if you want people to do something just change the order we also wow. found that while in the lab environment it looked like the environment was the biggest frame or the strongest frame in the field environment actually money seemed to be the stronger frame and this is really curious it's something we're exploring in more detail um I'll be following up on this uh, and seeing whether it applies in different field contexts, but it might be the case that people, you know, when they're put in a self-report environment, they tell you that in the environment is important because they want to feel like someone who is contributing to the environment. They want you, perhaps, even though they don't know who you are, to think that they are yeah. a good person. But when the, the rubber hits the road, so to speak, it's they, all money. Um, <laughs> they, they get uh, a little bit more driven by money. So yeah, so we're following up on that in more detail, but that's a, it's, a, it's an example um, of, of a nudge. You know, this is a small change to framing, which makes it an incremental, but, you know, significant uh, impact on behavior. Yeah, that's, I like that example that you just walked us through, because that, I think that took us through the whole process um, and everything we've talked about. We start with this study, we start, about, we start with these ideas around coming from behavioral economics about, you know, often uh, something as simple as just uh, framing and how you put the um, you know, what you put first, what you put second. That seems like it's a, it's a very simple idea. Um, and then we take it to the field. Um, we design something, uh, a program here that leverages those ideas from the lab, from these, these understandings. And then we test it and we test it and we see what people actually are doing. And in this case, we find something that did really work well. And I hope everyone listening here, I mean, I'm going to certainly take just list uh, driving last. I mean, this seems like the easiest solution. We're gonna all we need to do is just list three options, and the last one's driving. Um, obviously, that's not it, but I'm I'm really excited about that idea. Um, and then something that didn't work as well, in or as as you expected, which was uh, framing the idea around uh, the environment being kind of the, the key frame there versus money, and obviously money coming out to be to be more important. Um, that's that's I think that was a really good example. I really kind of I uh, drove it into my head a bit about how this can work. Um, so we've got a few more minutes. Uh, you know, we like to keep these, keep these podcasts nice and succinct so everyone can get back, take these ideas, go back to, um, you know, what you're doing and, uh, and apply them um, to your everyday, you know, work. So um, I, I'd like to see, I think that's, that's, I just segued myself into what I wanted to say, which is good. Um, do you have any ideas here about someone who's, you know, a TDM practitioner in the field, whether maybe they work for a uh, company, they work for a university, they work for a city, um, they're trying to come up with a way to reduce the number of people driving into work every day. Um, they've got all these ideas. How can they, you know, what is the, the strategy they should take to bring behavioral TDM into whatever kind of idea they're throwing around to try to get people out of the car? What are those you know, is there like a step-by-step -step process? Is there something they should just be thinking about? Is there a resource they should be going to to follow up on this idea? Um, what, what would you say to, to that? Yeah, so I think I would, the, the first thought is it's really, you know, not as hard as it, as it may seem. What, you know, what we're, what we're pushing for here is, is really simple. It's, it's let's use uh, behavioral thinking and human-centered design methods as an approach to innovation, and then where possible, um, let's try and evaluate things. And 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 really, it's you know it's not overcomplicated. That's what we're, we're trying to do. Where to start? I would um, get stuck into to some of the initial publications. Um, so that we, we put a few case studies out on our website. We we published um, there's a, a working paper out. I think will soon be 
put into the Behavioral Science and Policy Journal. Um, with, it's led by Professor Ashley Willens with, with myself on there and some of our other collaborators, Jessica Roberts and, and, and team. Um, I would get stuck into that and that, that gives it a, a really good overview. Um, there are also quite a few uh, conference talks that we've, between us, we've all given uh, at ACT and, and TRB, so I would, I would explore those. Um, but, but I think more than anything, I would say, just give it a go. You know, like that, that lesson from, from one of the, the studies before, just like, just make it easy. I think, for example, taking that into your, to your work and saying, how can we just make it easier for people to use uh, alternative modes? How can we... Um, even add friction to the driving process um, and then how can we think about measurement so so let's get let's try and get good data uh, and and if possible methodological design around the programs that that we're running um, so that, that would be my initial thoughts and of course i would also say like reach out if you have a cool program um, this is a very new approach we're sort of just doing doing our best getting stuck in so reach out um, We'd love to. We'd love to chat it through. That's great. Yeah, I mean, I know we're gonna have a lot more conversations between the two of us. because I'm really excited about this. Um, and you know, I'm I'm gonna first thing I'm gonna do is I'm gonna use this idea not for, once again not for mobility, but just applying it to everything in life. You know, try I'm trying to find a good place to record these podcasts. And I start here, and I got you know some weird lighting from the sides. Uh, I, you know, every I'm just gonna keep iterating. So. As you, as you all watch, you're going to see human-centered design, this iteration in progress. I'm probably going to be moving around every, every week for, for a little bit here. Um, okay, so let's finish off here. Uh, this, is a, this is a big concept. It's a big idea. Um, for our listeners, for our viewers, in your own words, just briefly, can you kind of summarize all of this and tell us why will behavioral TDM save the planet? Behavioral TDM will help us save the planet because it will get us there one small baby step at a time. Uh, applying behavioral science and human-centered design as an approach to innovation will help us come up with cool things that hopefully work, have a good chance of working. And then testing those ideas using rigorous, method, rigorous methods, um, strong evaluation, usually relying on RCTs, will help us show whether or not these ideas work. If they don't work, we'll kill them. If they do work, we'll look to test them again and hopefully scale them so that over time, piece by piece, baby step by baby step, we can develop, innovate, test, and, and change the world. Perfect. I love it. All right, hey, Joey. Um, as you know, we've got these playlists that we're building out um, with our favorite songs and we love to get our favorite songs from our guests. So tell me, Joey, what is your favorite song? What is your go-to song um, on your commute? Okay, so this is a little embarrassing, but I'm a, I'm a big Ed Sheeran fan. Um, I think we were born a day apart. And no way. Uh, you got to be a fan, man. <laughs> yeah, he's just a you know, really cool guy. So um, uh, Castle on the Hill is one of his songs quite upbeat which is counter to a lot of Ed Sheeran stuff and has a particular line in there about driving really fast down country lanes which probably isn't appropriate for the theme of this podcast <laughs> but nevertheless that's my first song to go to also breaking the theme of the podcast uh, I'm a big fan of an Irish band called Walking on Cars who are from County Kerry in Ireland which is where I grew up or near where I grew up uh, and they have a song called Speeding Cars 
also counter to the theme, but a great song. So they're my two, they're my two picks. I love it. Yep. Okay. We'll get them added in. Um, and everyone, you know, go, go listen to these songs. Joey, thank you so much for, for joining us today on Between the Lines. Um, I'm really excited to see how this, how this field continues to grow. Um, and as you said, uh, for our listeners, if you have any questions, Joey's available. We can reach out to him and we'll have his information up on, on our website as well. So once again, thanks for joining us and thank you for everyone for listening. Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of Between the Lines with Andy Keaton. Be sure to subscribe to hear next week's episode and check out our exclusive commuter playlists on Spotify.